This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey there, stackers. Welcome to a very special episode of the Stacky Benjamin Show. We're about to hit play on this special rewind episode, but first, just a little note from OG and I. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, man. I had to get up extra early just to do this, just so you know. I kept knocking into this fat guy in a suit who wouldn't get out of my way, so I don't know what that's all about. That's Santa Claus. Is it really? That's what that's about. Is it really? Well, guess what? Santa Claus is gifting to everybody this year. Santa Claus. More stacking Benjamins. More. Even more. Lucky you. (laughs) We are starting today on Christmas Day, a countdown of the six years, the last six years of the show. Uh, Before 2013, by the way, we had a show, but it had a different name, was completely different format. This is episode 35 of the show. And you know what we used to do, OG? We used to do the round table discussion and a guest interview and the headlines. I swear, if we did that today, our show would be 80 hours long. So just slightly shorter than it is now. Slightly, slightly shorter. This, well, actually, this one's pretty long, but Scott Tiris, who is a top financial advisor with Ameriprise Investments, was on the show and he went over the things that people should have learned in 2013 you know what's funny about this og of course being advice from a cfp this is advice that you still could take to the bank today right kind of time it doesn't matter that it was 2013 yeah now what also could be 2019 what does matter is you'll notice that we're only 35 shows into the show so it might be a little painful listening to og and i and you're going to hear a younger paula pant len penzo it's a lot of fun. Let's go back and listen to what should we have learned in 2013? Merry Christmas, everybody. Come on, Charlie Brown. It's almost midnight. I'll pour you a root beer. Thank you, Lucy. I've decided next year I'm going to be a changed person. Oh, be serious, Charlie Brown. No, I mean it. I'm going to be strong and firm. Forget it, Charlie Brown. You'll always be wishy-washy. Why can't I change just a little bit? I've got it! I'll be wishy one day and washy the next. (laughs) 
live from my parents' basement. This is the year-end episode of the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Sell, see high average Joe on our festive blog. And with my partner in crime, the other guy, we operate this super secret podcast about earning, saving, and spending in 2014 with a plan. You'll find notes for the show at stackingbenjamins.com. Send all emails with questions, comments, or confetti to Joe at stackingbenjamins.com. And here he is, the confetti master himself, the guy that's going to party like it's 2014 in a couple days, the OG. I'm going to party like it's 2013 forever. Dude, so who's responsible for the punch at the party? Oh, me. Pick me. <laughs> you can get the punch. I've already got my secret sauce <laughs> sitting right here. Oh, my head hurts just looking at that thing. It's half gone already. Hey, before we get too far, something that doesn't make my head hurt, OG, is the method I've been using to diversify my portfolio, which is GemStep. If I asked you how your portfolio was diversified and you said, I don't know, I think 2014 is a great time to look at GemStep. Here's how it works. You go to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash GemStep, answer a few questions about your goals. And you know how, OG, that we always preach that every plan's got to start with your goals? Well, these guys believe the same thing. They use a time-tested approach to take your money toward your goals. And that's when they'll ask you about the accounts you want to diversify and then bada bing, bada boom, they'll immediately give you a diversified recommendation with easy to follow instructions. So here's the secret part. If you decide to buy, right, they have a free service, but if you decide to buy, put the word stack in that promo code, they're going to hook you up with a free month. Thanks to GemStep for sponsoring the show. How cool is that? Why wouldn't you do the free plan? Even if you weren't going to pay for it. Even if you weren't going to follow it, why wouldn't you see what they have? Right? right. I mean, it's incredible. Hey, speaking of incredible, we have an incredible year end show. OG, this is our best show ever. Do we say that every show is our best show yes. of all time? This is this it. Is in particular, it's the best show ever. Well, you know how Barron's Magazine has the 100 best advisors they list every year? Right. And you know am how. Am I on there or am I not? Well, here's, dun, the, dun, here's dun. the deal. <laughs> That's right. We can't tell. OG may be on there, but another guy who we know is on there is our friend Scott Tyrus. Oh, Scott Tyrus from Ameriprise Financial. Ameriprise was my old stomping grounds when I was a financial advisor, as you know, OG. He joins us. This is a first for us. Joins us on the phone because he's a busy dude down there in Houston, Texas. And he talks about all the stuff we should have learned in 2013. What were some of the lessons the market taught us? And as you know, he's got some great tips. That was a great episode, by the way, 2012, last year. Lori Rudiman, the HR rock star, was here. We had a great time with her talking about what we should have learned in 2012. So Scott's got some great advice, especially for investors. And I think that's going to be fantastic. But also fantastic, PK's talking about being a contrarian. You're a contrarian, OG. A little bit. I thought you were going to say, no, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) you missed it (laughs) don't too too fast (laughs) doug has trivia you and i are going to help some awesome listener with an ipad mini len paul and gregor here shortwave roundtable they're talking about three great ways to jumpstart your saving in 2014 and of course some movies but for now let's move Well, this is a great time, I think, OG, for you and I to look back on last year and talk about what really worked for you and I on this show with our careers, things that really changed for you. What do you think your big aha just in general in your life was in 2013? Who put me on the spot. How's that for a little question? 
Yeah. If you had to single out one particular thing in the last 12 months that impacted you profoundly, what would that be? <laughs> oh, and you have no time to think about it. Go. Uh, I'm stalling, stalling. <laughs> I would say that technology is making it so that we can do this and I can do what I do from anywhere. Yeah. That's funny you say that because that's my and number. Embracing one. that. That has become my number one goal now is to be able to work from anywhere, to be location independent. That was not my goal at the start of 2013. I thought, yeah, that'd be nice. And now I'm on this quest to, if we can do this, if we can get the hell out of this basement, yes, <laughs> we, we can do this from anywhere. That is living yes. the dream. You ever hear that Emo Phillips joke about how his dad told him, don't go near the cellar door. Don't go near no. the cellar door. He's like, so finally, age 18, I decided it was time for me to go through the cellar door. And I opened the cellar door and I saw all these things, these weird Strange things I'd never seen before, like trees and grass and the sun. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Isn't that horrible? (laughs) So 2014, what's your big goal for 2014, OG? My really big goal is to do uh, 10 times as many financial plans as I did this year. Wow. So really help a lot of people in their financial planning. Yep. 10 times as many. Yeah. My biggest goal is, you know, I'm writing a book, and I'd like Mm -hmm. to have that done by the end of the first quarter, have the first draft written by the end of the first quarter. By March 31st, your entire year plan will be over. I'll be exhausted that I have my feet up. (laughs) I'll be done. And there's some other goals, but that's the one that's most on my mind right now. Get that book finished. I got to write 4,000 words a week to get it there. Oh, is that all? Yeah. And that's an important part, by the way, of any plan, guys. I know what a lot of people think, and the reason I wanted to bring this up, OG, a lot of people you know, when you get into meetings with people, they have a hard time talking about their goals. What is it about crystallizing goals that people don't like that makes it so hard for them? I think it's the commitment issues. I think it's also... Once you tell somebody what it really is, then you have to start doing it. I think people also think it's limiting. If I say I'm going to do this thing, there's these other 10 things out there that I think I might want to do. And if I say I'm doing this one, then that limits my ability to do those, which really isn't true because once you commit to doing the book or you commit to doing 10 times the number of financial plans, it's only then that you can actually create the plan to get there. It puts your mind focused on one particular thing. And while you may not do other things, you know, it may be somewhat quote, limiting. It's focusing you on one particular issue, which if you accomplish that, if you accomplish your one retirement goal, or you accomplish your kids going to college goal or something, you know, if we're talking about money or you write your book, all these other good things are going to happen because of it. I was just looking at a science journal that was talking about Asperger's and people who are highly functioning autism. Yes. So so people that know what Asperger's syndrome is, it's a mild form of autism. A lot of people that have that OG, highly functioning people, you see how much they excel at one thing. And the reason is what a lot of researchers have said is that actually what's called this disability, and I've got my fingers up, you know, doing the air Air quotes, quotes. disability. Air quotes. Yeah, Yeah. people have this disability. They focus, because of this air quote disability, they focus on one thing. And people that don't have this air quotes disability, those people are chasing 20 different things. A lot of times someone with Asperger's syndrome becomes very, very skilled at a certain area because of that ability to focus and stay on one track. And I think that's a problem we see a lot out there with our clients is they're too busy chasing too many goals instead of setting one or two big ones and running for it. 
Pick one thing, man. Pick one thing. Maybe two. Maybe six. Definitely no more than five. Absolutely no more than 12. Or 11. Hey, I hear the phone ringing, OG. Can we have we, a phone down here? It's the Dude, bat phone. Can we phone. order Jimmy John's or something? I'm so hungry. <laughs> it is the bat phone. Jimmy John's, you want to sponsor the show, Joe at StackyBenjamins.com, since we're giving Please. you some free props there. Nothing better than Jimmy John's. My friend Rob loves Jimmy John's. He's all about the Jimmy John's. I like it. Mm. It's yumbo. Yeah. So, Scott Tyrus, the things that you should have learned in 2013, let's talk to him. Well, how was your 2013? Let's take a look back and see if there's any lessons that we should have learned about our money. To do that, we thought we'd bring in an expert. Every year, Barron's Magazine creates a list of their top 100 advisors, and we are absolutely excited that we have one of them here, Scott Tyrus, who's president of the firm Tyrus Pennington & Associates, is with us. He's a certified financial planner, and his practice is affiliated with Ameriprise Financial. Scott, a phone interview is a first for us. I'm glad you could take time out of your busy holiday season to join us. Welcome. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So I got to ask you a question. What does a top 100 advisor in the nation do over the holidays? Do you like make decorations around your house of $100 bills and hang them all over? <laughs> I wish it was that easy. Now, 2013 was a good year and markets did well. So one might think that that's what we would be doing. But you know what? It's uh, We've got a lot of responsibility. It's all about taking care of our clients and answering their questions. And, you know, unfortunately, that part does, uh, does not rest even during the holidays. So, uh, so we can continue to, to work hard. Yeah, I remember those last-minute questions that people would have. But let's dive back into not the last week, but back into 2013, because you've been nice enough to create a list of five things that people should have learned from 2013. And this is, I think, a great opportunity for our listeners to learn a few lessons. What do you think the number Number one thing is people should have gotten out of this last year. Is I think about 2013, and some years are, are quite similar to the many behind those. And one of the things we have to continue to remember is that media is always front and center. So whether it is that you're on the computer or whether you're listening to the radio or watching TV, and I don't mean to be callous when I say this, but the fact is, is that bad news sells, right? I mean, so you turn on the 10 o'clock news, you have to admit there's 29 minutes of all the murders and fires and assaults, and then finally the last minute you watch the fireman rescue that cat out of the tree, right? So, so you finally get that one minute of good news. And bad news sells because if everything was always good, there wouldn't be any reason for you to watch the TV and watch their program because everything's always good. So what happens is, I think what we learned in 2013 is that the media headlines were large. So if it wasn't Iran, it was sequester. If it wasn't the sequester, it was the budget impasse. If it's not that, it's Bernanke, right? So because of all these headlines that are always front and center, we can't help but be a little bit nervous. Well, what does this mean to my money, right? So what does this mean the money I've got inside my 401k plan? Are the banks safe? Because they weren't safe back in 2008. So we've got to remember to take a step back and kind of take the media headlines really with more of a, of a grain of salt. And so just remember that just because the media is trying to make something a big deal doesn't necessarily mean it's a big deal. And I know that we saw a lot of the big headlines in 2013. And so I caution my clients to take the, a lot of the media seriously as they would want you to take them. Yeah, it's funny because it always seemed like gloom and doom was around the next corner, right? If you read the media headlines, you had to move to Safe Harbor all year long. But if you got rid of your diversified approach, you really kind of screwed yourself, Scott. 
Yeah, no, you would have. You know, the market's up, what, 25% or so for this year, if you look at the broader uh, indexes. And if we would have done what the media probably wanted us to do or tempted us to do and move it all to cash or CDs that are paying all the half of a percent, then the money that's long-term, the dollars inside your 401k plan, the dollars that really you don't need for 5, 10, 20 years, those dollars need to be in areas that are going to be susceptible to volatility, and that's okay. The markets are always volatile, but that money needs to be in areas that can grow faster, that can outpace inflation. And so being scared for those dollars, again, the 20-year dollars really doesn't make sense. And so I would agree for those that did take the media to heart, I think that they, they left a lot of money on the table. Now, you have uh, some advice from last year around or some look back around individual investments. What could we have learned from individual types of investments from last year, Scott? Well, there's a lot of different places that you could put your money. You know, one time to go to my uh, second lesson learned, for those of us that have bonds inside our portfolio or bonds, you know, remember, we kind of use money in bonds. You know, bonds are kind of safe, and bonds really don't go down very much. At least that's how we feel about it. And we usually use bonds inside our portfolio for capital preservation purposes and stocks for capital appreciation purposes. But, but we're reminded in 2013 that bonds can go down. It really just depends on the kind of bonds that you have. Stocks did really, really well in 2013. And in fact, if you go back and take a look at the last 34 years, going back to 1980, again, stocks have gone up 27 years and bonds, excuse me, and, and only gone down, say, seven years. And bonds have been kind of steadier. But we've also had an interest rate environment where rates have been have been going down, but now rates are, are beginning to tick back up. And that's what we kept hearing about Bernanke's. So it's important as we look at the bonds inside our portfolio that, that we have the right type of bonds. Interest rates go up, you know, value bonds go down. So really the lesson we learned, I think, in 2013 regarding bonds is that duration does matter. Duration really means basically how many years before your bond matures. And for those that have longer duration bonds, bonds that matured in 20 or 30 years, they did see some capital depreciation inside those. And so the lesson we learned is really having bonds at shorter durations. We think that's uh, going to be really important going into 2014 as well. That's what I was going to ask you was, you know, the Fed still isn't done tightening, not to get too technical, but do you think that because a lot of people say that there's still another shoe to drop that we'll still see a lot of volatility in the bond market next year? I do. And in fact, I think it could be worse in 2014 than even we saw it in 2013. So so the stuff that we hear in the media headlines is, oh, my God, Bernanke and soon Yellen, you know, they're going to begin to taper. And taper really means that they're going to stop buying as many bonds and providing liquidity that the Fed has provided in, into the markets. And so because of that, rates would begin to go up. Now, the good news is if you have CDs, maybe your CD rates start to go up uh, a little bit. But the bad news is is that if you, uh, if you are holding bonds, again, that are longer term, you're going to see some of the same volatility in 2014, I believe, again, that you saw in 2013. So I think you've got to be really careful uh, with the type of bonds that you hold. Uh, based on what you just said, not to get off track from your five points because these are awesome, but this also says to us that if you're going to refinance your house, you should probably do it soon, I'm uh, guessing. You know what? Your rates, maybe they go down a little. I mean, the rates are not going to go down much further. They can't. The Fed has already kind of pegged those at zero, and your mortgage rates are 3 or 4%. That's a really good rate. And you know what? The only place they can really go up, I believe, from this point is higher. And so if you've waited to, to refinance your mortgage, I would probably hesitate waiting a lot longer, which doesn't mean that they couldn't take down at 25 basis points or, you know, a quarter of a percent. That They could, but I think that the risk in them going up 25 or 50 basis points or a full one. I think the risk of that is probably greater. So I think that's a really good point. I think refinancing for those of us that have waited probably does make a lot of sense. 
We're speaking with Scott Tyrus, the president of the firm Tyrus Pennington and Associates. He's one of the top 100 advisors in the nation, according to Barron's Magazine. And I bet every time people say that about you, Scott, you got to giggle a little bit. Well, you know what? I've been blessed, no doubt about that. But I, uh, unfortunately, I love what I do. Yeah, well, that's probably why you're in the top 100. What's your third lesson for us from 2013, Scott? You know, the other thing that I think about, and which kind of remind us because of the media making it seem like, kind of ties back in the first thing we talked about, making it seem like that, that there's always doom and gloom, is that you know the stock market goes up a lot more than it goes down. As I mentioned, is that if we go back to 1980, stock have only gone down in seven years since 1980. They've gone up 27 times, so the odds are in our favor. Now, a lot of us are still raw, right? We remember what happened to our 401k plans, and sort of people start calling those 201k plans, right, because our accounts could have gone down for 50, 60 percent. But the fact is, is that I think that for dollars that are longer term is that we've got to have some exposure to stocks, and that was a very important lesson that we learned in 2013, because if we didn't, we missed out on what was a 25% increase in that part of our portfolio. And we have to remember this too, and I keep it simple, is that if you think about it, every time the stock market's ever gone down, it's always gone back up, and at some point in time, it hits a new high. And we saw it hit its new high this year. So just remember, if you've got time on your side, which we do, then the markets have always come back. It doesn't guarantee that they're always going to, but they always have. Now, the other thing I would want to mention too is that corrections are normal. Correction is defined as though the stock market went down by 10% or more. And that happens statistically as often as twice a year. So the markets are going to go down, and that's okay. That's normal. That's healthy. In fact, the average correction goes down. The market goes down at some point in time during the year, about 14.7%. That goes back to 1980. So you need to expect that. And a lot of times we forget. So in 2013, it was easy to forget because the stock market only went down by about 6%. Now that was kind of in the, in the June time frame. But we've got to remember that the markets can go down, they will go down, but over time stocks go up a lot more than they go down. Yeah, I think people think that they're safe in savings account, but really what a savings account says is that you're pretty much guaranteed that you're going to have to save dollar for dollar toward your goals, and people forget that. I mean, if you want to reach your goals, you almost have to be in some of these long-term asset classes like real estate and stock. Yeah, now, you know, it's funny you mention that. It's something you know, I heard a long time ago, which I thought was interesting. Sometimes clients will come in and say, but Scott, I am diversified. I've got CDs in 10 different banks, right? That's, that's <laughs> diversification. But that's not diversification. I tell them the CD stands for constantly depreciating, right? Think about <laughs> it. If you're getting a 1% rate return inside your CD, but inflation is 3 or 4%, then really you're losing, again, 2 3% of your purchasing power every year by leaving your money in CDs. And then you take taxes into consideration, it gets even worse. So no, diversification is important, and diversification and having some exposure for your longer-term goals, having some exposure to the stock market, I think makes a lot of sense. I'll apologize ahead of time, Scott, because I'm probably going to steal that CD joke from you, and, I'm, and I probably won't quote you. And that's fine. I stole from somebody else, too, I'm sure. All right. Your next lesson is about the Fed. Tell us about that. What did we learn from the Fed in 2013? Well, you know what? And I heard this a while back, too, and this is a cliche that I did not make up, but it's this one that resonates, is, is don't fight the Fed. And really what that means is the, uh, the Federal Reserve kind of controls our monetary policy. What that means is they decide how much money flows through the economy. They try to control uh, employment rates. They try to control interest rates in terms of what CDs are going to pay and what your mortgage rates could be. And so when the Fed decides 
that they want to begin to make money easy, and in other words, lower rates. Typically, that's going to be very good for the economy and very good as, as the economy looks forward. So the stock market is really a leading economic indicator. It tries to predict, again, what the economy is be doing a year or two or three years from now. And so when the Fed is easy and making money really cheap, that's usually good for the economy. And so that's what they've been doing. And so even though we've had lots of bad news with Iran and the sequester and the budget impasse and all, all that, the fact is the Fed has kept money really easy. And for those people that did not realize that, 2013, again, what happened was they missed out on a great stock market. So if we fight the Fed, in other words, go against the Fed, I still think that we've got major issues, again, in the economy. And I, and I can't argue that. I think the, the economy still has got major issues. I think the executive office has got many challenges, and maybe they're not being as stock market friendly, but the Federal Reserve is. So for those individuals that decided they were more nervous about everything else and didn't pay attention to the Fed, I think that they missed out. I'd like you to put on your magic hat, and I know just a general rule from all the financial planners I know is you try not to look into the crystal ball, but do you think with a change at the top of the Fed from Ben Bernanke to Janet Yellen probably next year, do you think that's going to make a big change in Fed policy? You know, that is the question that we get a lot. And you know what? I think that Janet Yellen is actually very similar to Bernanke. I think she's dovish, as they would say, is that she believes in an easy monetary policy really helping feed the economy. I actually don't anticipate her views being a lot different than Bernanke's. Now, all that being said, I think that Bernanke was there, and now it's going to be Janet Yellen. I think that she's got a tough, tough job, and I think that she will be responsible for beginning the taper, which I believe is going to occur next year. And that's going to be kind of a, of a quasi-tightening beginning to uh, to have the Fed not be sort of a catalyst for the stock market. And I think that when that taper begins, the analysis will begin to shift again from the Fed again to the economy and the Fed to and profit growth and, and the sales of different companies and, and go back to more fundamental analysis. And so, so I think in 2014 that we're going to have to start paying a little bit more attention to the health of the economy, the health of, of companies, and because uh, I don't think the Fed is going to have as much to say in terms of how it may help, again, the stock market as it did in 2013. I love Absolutely love your last point, because when I decided to start running again, having a great team of people to work with was fantastic. Having friends that berated me when I wouldn't go out when it was only 25 degrees or whatever it might be. Your fifth point. Let's get into that. I love this one. Not to foreshadow too much, Scott, but what's your last point that we should take away from 2013? This is the other thing is that our intuitions are strong. Our fear is powerful. And so sometimes what happens, it kind of ties back into the first one as well, is that the media is kind of there to scare us, right? So you have to have somebody you trust really is kind of a sounding board to kind of keep you on track. And that person could be your brother, your sister. It could be a, a really good friend that you trust, or it could be your financial advisor. And that person really is there to help you control your behavior. So you kind of talk, talk into how it, is, it helped you control your running behavior. It gave you motivation to get out when it was really cold or to, or to run the extra mile. Same thing. It's, it's helpful to have a sounding board, have somebody in your life that can guide you and that can kind of keep you along the path of right, as I would call it. So for instance, in June, when the markets dropped 6%, that's the equivalent of, of seven, eight, nine hundred points on the Dow, right? It's easy to think, oh my God, we're going back into, <laughs> into what happened in 2008. Yeah. I got to lose half my money again, but that's not what happened. Again, it was temporary correction. The markets jumped back up. And, and for those of us that got nervous that didn't have that sounding board, I think what happens is they left a lot of money on the table because they got too nervous. And if they had somebody in their life, again, like I said, a good friend, a trusted neighbor, again, a financial advisor, then I think they would have done 
much better by having a good sounding board out there. Man, I totally, totally, totally agree. Well, tell us a little bit, Scott, for the people that don't know about your practice, you're in Houston, but tell us a little bit about how you run your practice as a financial advisor and a little bit about Ameriprise in general. Yeah. So we've got a financial planning firm, and really what that means is that we help individuals and we guide them along many areas of financial planning over and above just what's going to be asset allocation, where do I put my money. So again, it comes down to being there to help our clients send their kids to college or to save money in taxes or to make sure that they plan is up to date. And so we are that sounding board, if you will, again, to our clients, and they've got somebody they can depend upon when they do get nervous. They read about article and something that dramatic happens in the stock market. And I think people like us are very, very important in people's lives uh, who don't enjoy doing this stuff as much as, <laughs> as some of the people that do it on their own. And so I think we play a very important role. And, and Ameriprise, again, is a firm that allows us to be able to have the freedom to be able to help our clients as we see fit. And we've got a very strong name that that supports us. I will link to your page at Ameriprise.com on our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash 36. All right, Scott, last question. We looked at 2013, and thanks a ton for doing that. But if you have one piece of advice for somebody who's just starting out, just they're listening to the show and they're just getting off the couch and they're going to start rolling in 2014, what would the one piece of advice be that you give this person? You know, the, the piece of advice is is you don't let fear control you. Start something. Do something. And, again, for your younger listeners, you know, begin by putting $100 a month into a, an account. And don't worry. Matter of fact, what I tell people sometimes, too, is that you don't just hope the stock market goes down as you're saving. You pray the stock market goes down. And people look at me like I'm crazy. Why, why would they pray the stock market goes down while they're investing? Because it allows them to pick up a lot of cheaper shares. And it's all about accumulating shares right now when you're younger versus accumulating dollar amount. So because at some point in time, the markets are going to go back up. And at some point in time, they're going to hit a new high. So the point is start today, start saving, start somewhere, use a good ass allocation. Don't get too nervous next time we have a correction because a correction is coming. And I don't know whether it's tomorrow or three years from tomorrow, but the market's going to go down at some point in time. Don't worry about that. Embrace it instead. Hello. Hey, uh, OG. Guys, hey, I'm just here to borrow some Dijon mustard. Man, once again, these jokers are MIA. <laughs> it is just so sad that these two dorks pretend to have a worldwide internet podcast in their basement. This place is a mess. There's scripts and soundboards and mics and something that looks like a green room. It's like a nerd theme park. All right, well, Doug, time to do some charity work and help them out by adding another trivia segment. All right. I'll talk into this microphone and hope it's recording. Hey, trivia junkies, it's Joe's mom's neighbor Doug here again with the best part of this here podcast thingy. Here we go. Out of each dollar that's spent on gas in the United States, how much do you think is a tax? I'll be back with the answer after I wake up this dude next to the freezer to see if he wants to play along too. And now for something completely different. Your unadulterated genius from PK at DQYDJ.net. Hello, Stacking Benjamins listeners. This is the stunningly handsome PK from the weirdest personal website on the web. Don't quit your day job at DQYDJ.net. Today, let's talk more about contrarianism. Yes, this is going to be somewhat of a psychology episode. Brought to you by a computer engineer who talks about finance on a podcast. If you can wrap your head around all of that, you're in for a treat. If you can't, 
Welcome to 2013 and good luck with your internet goals in 2014. There's probably nothing harder in investing than playing the role of the contrarian. I remember in one of my elementary school classrooms, there was a banner. Uh, what is popular is not always right, and what is right is not always popular. I've said it before on the show. It is hard to go against the herd, to stand up for something that all of your reason is screaming is correct, but all of your emotion is saying is wrong. It's a tough thing to do. Yes, sure, it would help to be an unfeeling automaton while investing, but that's not even the whole story since the impetus for changes in market direction changes in every cycle. And yes, at least as of today in December of 2013, markets are still made up of people and where there are people, there are emotions. As I've explained in recent episodes, I personally changed my thoughts on the potential gains of the American stock market as a result of some careful parsing of statistics. I don't count myself in the extreme bullish camp or the extreme bearish camp. As I explained, I think over the next decade, we're most likely to see minor gains due to dividends and earnings growth while dealing with the winds in our face of shifting valuations. Perhaps you could call me a, quote, baby bull. My estimates were for something between one and a half and 6% a year gains, assuming the three to 4% growth case. But standing astride the two camps of bears and bulls does cause the occasional doubt to crop up. Also creeping up are the doubters. You see, in the face of almost daily new highs in the S&P 500, when every trading strategy works, it's easy to appear overly cautious. Although early in the cycle, I either skillfully or luckily increased my leverage, I've started to deleverage a bit and pay down some cheaper debt that I wouldn't have even considered at the beginning of the year. Being an un- outspoken person, this often opens me up to comments from people who are faithfully fully in the boom or bust camps. Here's the thing, my contrarian and not so contrarian friends, those very comments which are coming more frequently are actually fueling my confidence more and more. Arguments from emotion shouldn't sway you, but they certainly do matter. File them away as evidence of, well, something. Arguments on the bear side of bubbles and huge busts are coming too. Anyway, there's not too much I can say in this segment in terms of numbers. You should let reason dictate your decisions and investments, but emotion should have a place, even if it's just in the evidence pile. Always reevaluate when the situation changes. Perhaps earnings will increase quickly, or investors will demand more dividends or some other change. Make sure that you don't compound a mistake by taking too long to switch. That's all I've got. Hang in there. The herd can only stampede for so long before it comes to a cliff. On that note, and while you decide if the herd is composed of bears, bulls, or lemmings, let's kick it back to the rest of the show. Wow, that guy just walked right over to the microphone, performed verbal calculus for two minutes, and then went right back and curled up next to the furnace must be cold. Amazing. Well, I may keep the charade alive long enough to give you the answer. The trivia question once again was this. How much of every dollar spent on gas in the USA represents a tax? Well, it varies from state to state, but on average, you pay 27 cents of tax for every dollar you spend on gas. Huh? Hey, hey, I hear those two doorknobs coming back down. Time to scrab. See ya. Wow, it's so good to hear a guy like Scott Tyrus really kind of echo some of the things that longtime listeners have been hearing throughout the year from us. Market went down in June, July. Markets go down and up. That's what happens. Bonds, 
don't go up all the time in August and September. I think we talked about that every stinking show. Your goals, your plan, create an asset allocation based on your unique circumstances. Don't touch it. Buy good stuff. Leave it alone. Yeah, and I know that people may think that Scott's last point, the one about, hey, find a friend, find an advisor, that that may seem self-serving because he's a financial advisor saying that. Right. And you, just to be clear, I'm no longer a financial advisor. You're a guy that wears the, I'm doing the air quote thing all the time today. I hate that too. The bag over your head, you're OG. You're not telling everybody who you are. You're not out here getting clients from it. We've say over and over, find yourself a coach. Every wealthy person I know has a board of advisors. Has it, there was never, Absolutely. never a wealthy person that I met that didn't have smart people behind them helping them. Your two hands will never get you very far. Well, if you are focusing on, just kind of carry over what we were talking about before, if you're focusing on one thing in your life right now, working on your career, working on a project or something like that, how can you dedicate reasonable proficiency, reasonable time to gain proficiency in other areas? There's so much like self-help stuff that people say, well, I can do my own taxes. You can, but why? Like, why do you want to make take the risk of not knowing everything that there is to know? Why not find somebody who that's all they do is eat, breathe, and sleep taxes? Why not find a great insurance person or a great financial planner or a great investment advisor who that's all they do is spend all of their time in front of people? I just met with a person a couple of weeks ago who's scared to death to retire by the end of the year. And she said, I can't believe you're so calm. And I said, because I've done this a hundred times. Know that you're scared about it. You're not my first person to retire. So I know what paperwork to use. I know the things we have to make decisions on right away. I know the things we can wait to make decisions on. So let me boil this down for you. A great person in your corner, a great advisor, whether it's a financial advisor or otherwise, will be able to take very complex things and distill that down into, here's the step I need you to take today. Absolutely. And I think it's up to you to know when your things are complex enough that you do need an advisor versus somebody who's like a good friend that you're holding each other accountable. Because you and I both know some people where they're just getting started. It is best for them to have somebody, maybe find a mentor, find somebody that they're not going to have to pay. Because for that person, OG, a quote advisor might be the worst thing for them. It might not give them the learning that they need. But I totally agree. If you own your own business, why are you going to do your own taxes? If you're somebody who doesn't understand deductions and you're doing the itemized deductions page, why are you doing your own taxes? Hire somebody who's been there. If you own your own business, presumably you know exactly what your contribution is to society, right? And you have got that figured out to the dollar, how much revenue you produce when you're thinking about your business. Even if it takes you four hours to do your taxes all in. If you're making 50 bucks an hour, why would you not just take that $200 and get a relationship with somebody who can help you with that. Well, by the way, maybe they become a client or become an advocate for the work that you're doing. Yeah. That's the other thing. It's funny is that from those relationships, how many times have you scored your clients some business in their area of work? Yeah. I, I used to do that all the time. I used to constantly, I was an advocate for my clients. I got them tons of work because the more work all they I get, think about every day is matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Yeah. Yep. How can I, right. how can I help them? Speaking of help, We got two guys that we're very thankful for here, OG, and we want to say thank you to at the end of the show. My mom's neighbor, Doug. I don't know how thankful we really are, but but Doug's around. And then uh, PK, we are very thankful for. This guy's wicked smart as PK being on this podcast. We are not worthy. We are not worthy. All right. Three more people we're thankful for, OG, are the people on our shortwave. Let's go talk to them. 
right, everybody. With only one day to go left in the year, it's time to talk to the best financial minds around the nation. Let's go east to west, getting ready to celebrate 2014. It's Paula Pant from Afford Woo! Anything. Woo-hoo. Happy New Year, Paula. Happy New Year's to you, too. Yes. So uh, you having a big party there in the ATL? Actually, I'm down in Florida because I spend every New Year's in Florida. Oh, you're such a show off. I know, dude. I got to escape the Atlanta cold. All the people in Minnesota listening to this are rolling their eyes. Or in, <laughs> or in Vancouver. Dude, or it Calgary. gets like cold enough you have to wear pants. Oh, that is, I hate wearing <laughs> pants. I, I never record our shows with pants. Let's skip all the way into the middle of the Pacific and talk to the man, the myth, the legend from Control Your Cash. It is Greg McFarlane. Interestingly, Paula makes the point about how cold Atlanta gets. Everybody thinks of Atlanta as the capital of the South. A fun geographic fact, Atlanta is closer to Canada than it is to Miami. Paula's presumed a New Year's destination or somewhere close by. How about that? A geography lesson. That's like bonus material on the album. Man. You know, it's true. People assume that Atlanta is going to be warm. We are surprisingly close to Tennessee. And no one would say, oh, you live in Tennessee. It's so hot there. Dude, same thing with Atlanta. We're only a couple hours away. It gets cold here. Once again, all the people in Quebec listening to this roll in their eyes. Like, (laughs) yeah, whatever, Paula. I completely sympathize. It gets cold here in Hanukkah, Hawaii, Maui, too. Last night, (laughs) it got down to 73. 70 freaking three. So you're celebrating the New Year's in Hawaii? Yes, I am. Fantastic. Day 28 of the Control Your Cash Detox, where we decamp to the Western headquarters, still has a couple more months left. What do the Islanders do on the New Year's, Greg? Same thing they do the remaining 364 days of the year. Be apathetic. I wish there was a happy medium between Manhattan speed and Maui speed because the people in the second category are just obscenely slow. They follow the speed limit here like it's a biblical imperative. Nobody shows up on time for anything. It is perfectly acceptable to have a 11 a.m. business meeting on Tuesday and call at noon on Wednesday to say you're running late because, and I quote, the waves were bitching. <laughs> oh, that sounds so tough. Sounds so very tough. And celebrating the new year in the Los Angeles area, it is Mr. Lempenzo from the crazily named Lempenzo.com. I spent weeks trying to come up with a name like that. <laughs> we talked about this earlier. You paid a consultant thousands of dollars. I sure did. Yeah. And you know what? I would have never come with that name myself. It was brilliant. Just simplicity <laughs> is brilliant. Like whoever came up with the word butter. Absolutely. Where do you go from there, Len? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Let's get right because, you know, New Year's is coming and I have a party to get to. I know. Let's do that. So, Paula, you wrote this great thing in early December that we want to go back to because I think it's a great way for us to end 2013. Talking about three unconventional ways to supercharge your savings. What's that all about? Well, basically, I'm fed up with people who associate savings with small time activities coupon clipping, stacking a store deal with a manufacturer deal, and oh man, I saved 50 cents here and 75 cents here, and look, I saved 10 bucks off my entire grocery bill. You know what? I'm sorry, 10 bucks is not going to move the needle. Do that every week of the year, you'll save barely over $500. It's not going to move the needle. Wait, so your oven light is not really a big deal? (laughs) No, oven light is totally not a big deal. Neither is making your own laundry detergent. or any of the other mindless little pieces of minutia that people fixate on because it's easier to fixate on ways to save money than it is to think about how you can grow money. That's powerful thinking there, Paula. 
I'm tired of it. It's mentally lazy to fixate on trimming back. And you know what? It's an extension of society's consumer mindset that when we think of money, we immediately think about getting a good deal on something. Agreed. It doesn't matter if you're getting a good deal on it. You're still thinking like a consumer, like a buyer. And in order to become really wealthy, you have to leave the buyer mentality and start thinking like a hater. And commercials teach us that, right? Save, save, save. Greg, I'm sure you have no thoughts on that. Well, I worked in advertising for several years and basically I spent 12 years of my life just hammering out one filthy lie after another. I have yet to read an article of Paula's or even a paragraph that I disagreed with. Maybe the ones about taking on roommates, but that's about it. Paula also talks in this article of hers about budgeting, encouraging people, or in her case, discouraging people from creating budgets. Self-styled experts whether it's at our level or whether it's the Dave Ramsey's and Susie Ormans of the world, love to give people tasks to perform, projects to accomplish. That's one of the reasons I didn't include worksheets in my book, Control Your Cash, Making Money Makes Sense, now available on Amazon and Kindle Edition, <laughs> seven bucks and fine bookstores everywhere. But I don't care if you're Anthony Robbins or Robert Kiyosaki, no one is ever going to fill the damn worksheets out. Imploring people to create a budget is a fool's errand. And if you're the kind of person who is responsible enough to budget, you would have done it already. If you can't capture these people when they're six years old and their brains are still forming, all is lost. Yeah, but I think you think the oven light is important, though, right, in the big scheme of things? <laughs> well, what Paul was saying, I mean, people fixate on the easy wins hey, it's right there in my Sunday paper. I can take this to the grocery store and save 15 cents off the bottle of Cheese Whiz. That'll make me rich. No, it won't. You're still spending the $2.49 instead of $2.64 or whatever it is. People will love to do insignificant activities like that, which when repeated still don't accumulate into anything noteworthy, but they won't, for instance learn how to negotiate a big ticket item like buying a car. If you stamp your feet, walk out, do your research, pit two dealers against each other, buy in a neighboring state with a more appropriate sales tax, you can save thousands of dollars. You can save more money than you will save on the purchase of any grocery item from now until the next ice age. But people just refuse to do it. Why? Because it requires a little bit of confrontation. It requires a little bit of planning. It requires you being able to read the salesperson as opposed to just statically hand a coupon over to a clerk at a grocery store and have her scan the UPC for you. Yeah, it was amazing. We had Phil Reed on, the senior consumer editor for Edmonds back in September. I use their plan when I bought my latest car, and I'm with you about the car. I saved $2,000 before the negotiating began just by pitting the two dealers against each other. But, Len, you're a guy that does the school lunch sandwich index that saves people 47 cents. What do you think about that? I'm the same way. You know, the save penny-wise, pound-foolish, it's all too real. And you know what? I even caught myself doing this just over the Christmas holiday here. Benny Hanna was, and I don't know how many of you like Benny Hanna. I, I mean, love I it. love that place. I, I go there it. a lot. I love it. But anyways, they have a deal right now, and I think it's still going until the very end, until December 31st. So I think you have one day left, basically. But they have a deal where if you bought $200 worth of gift cards online, you could get $50 in bonus cards. Wow. So you get $250 for $200. But they also offered, they said, Look, we'll give you 20 extra dollars, so we'll give you like $70 in bonus cards 
if you come into the store and get the cards. So I told the honey bags, hey, that's it. We're going to Benihana. We're getting that extra 20 bucks. Until I did the math in my head and I realized, wait a minute, I'm going to spend $25 in gas driving to the stupid Benihana that's closest to my house <laughs> to get the extra 20 bucks. So, I mean, you got to be careful. It is stupid. You usually get yourself in trouble trying to save these and you should be thinking picture and going the other route. Yeah. So, Paula, you've got three super ways and Greg alluded to your first one, which is quit trying to budget. How come? Because you're not going to stick with it. If you're the type of person who already budgets and you already have a ton of success sticking with it, that's awesome, man. Good for you. Continue doing what you're doing. You've obviously got it worked out. But for the rest of you people, those of you who do not have a line item yet and you know who you are, don't beat yourself up about the fact that you can't stick to that. Because you know what? It sucks to try to stick to a budget. So take the easiest slash most effective route possible, which is skim your savings off the top and then just spend the rest. Make it automatic. Exactly. Make it automatic. Decide what percentage of your income you want to save. 20%, 30%, 50%. I mean, just pick a number, yank that right off the top, and then the money that's left over, you can just spend freely. Go wild. Greg, How about 100%? Yeah, right. <laughs> just live in somebody else's backyard. But Len, seriously, you're a guy that is a good saver. How much of your saving isn't automatic? How much isn't automatic? Yes. Okay, well, well, hold on. So when you say automatic, what do you mean? Like the, I'm automatically deducting for like my retirement savings and stuff? Yes. You don't want me to count that? Yes. How much of your savings do you actually write a check or go to the bank or take money and take your little jar of pennies and take it down and have it sorted? Of all the money you save, what percentage do you automatically save? 105%, Joe. Uh, Greg, how about you? Do you physically save money or do you have it all automatically arranged? I said it and forgot it years ago. Yeah, I'm right at 100% too. I mean, I give 110%, which I encourage every athlete to do. But yeah, my savings rate as distinguished from what has to be done consciously as opposed to automatically. Yeah, it's 100. Yeah, and I think that should be the point, Paula, isn't it? That budget is just a way to get there, to make sure that that money is able to get saved. I mean, I love that guy, the Canadian guy, David Chilton, The Wealthy Barber is his books, which I like. And he says budgets are baloney. Like you said, it's not baloney for everybody. But the main point is it's about getting money saved. Right, exactly. You don't need to sit there and line item every single thing and say, I spent $18.72 on cat food this month. The most important thing is that you're saving that money. And if you need, if you're the type of person who needs a line item budget, you can stick with that. Fine. Great. You found what works. Good for you. But for the rest of us, just skim that money right off the top. Done. So, done and done. Yes. Takes five seconds. Well, so I'm curious. So I'm assuming that you don't have a line item budget. Correct. I do not. Greg, do you have a line item budget? No, uh, not for years. Len, do you have a line item budget? No, not anymore. Ah, okay. But you did at one point because you're an engineer and that's what engineers do? Yeah, but that's training wheels. Okay, <laughs> so after a while you don't need it anymore. Yeah. Your second point, Paula, is <laughs> to earn more money. Earn exactly. Yes, because nothing is going to move the needle as much as earning more will. If you make 40 grand a year, how much, in terms of raw dollars, how much can you save? Because you've got a certain baseline of expenses that you need to meet. You know, you can trim orange juice out of your grocery budget and you can go from brand name toilet paper, generic toilet paper. But at a certain point, you, you hit baseline and that's it. The best thing you can do is ratchet up your earnings. 
I I I love this, Greg, and I'm I'm feel, I'm fairly certain that you and I totally agree on this point that that's where it is. It isn't about saving five cents; it's about using that brain power to earn more money. Well, Paula makes the point that if you're struggling, if you are just keeping your head above water with your current situation and wondering why you can't get ahead, when you take on that second job, that outside gig, whatever, that's that's officially gravy. All of that is pure savings. It's pure, pure profit if we're going to consider this a profit and loss thing. And people don't understand that. Okay, if you're earmarking whatever percentage of your income up until that point to expenses, everything beyond that, 100% of that is savings. And it's amazing how many people don't realize that. And that's why extreme couponers drive me crazy because they are wasting four hours that they could be out making more cash. Amen. Yeah, isn't it isn't it crazy? I mean, that, that's it's amazing how people value their time. You know, if it if they take uh, if they take twenty minutes clipping uh, five dollars worth of coupons, you know, and they could be uh, assuming they can even use that, and they could be time much better. It's it's funny because people would come into my office and they would say, I have a budget problem, and we would go through every single line item, and I'd say, you don't have a budget problem, you have an income problem. You, you need to make more money. They're just, you know, you can live like crap more, or you can find ways to make more money. So the question then becomes, what are you doing at 2 a.m., you know? Uh, third point, Paula, is what on your three awesome ways to save more money? When you do decide to target your spendings and to, and to really – Focus on trimming your expenses. Go after the big ticket items, your house, your car. Those are the things that really move the needle because that's where the vast majority of your expenses go towards. That is fantastic. Uh, Greg? I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, but it, I think you still have to take your own personality into account. Paula talks about the wisdom of taking on roommates if you want to save money. Now, when I was in my early 20s, just getting out of college, I had had one bad roommate after another throughout college. E each one, I mean, the sophomore one was worse than the freshman one. The junior one was worse than the sophomore one. I'm like, I have to live alone. I don't care how much it's going to cost me. I have to live alone. And maybe ultimately for a couple of years, it, it ended up retarding my progress. I was using it as a verb. It's fine. But I would have been so much further ahead if I had just sucked it up and taken on a roommate that I didn't like. My last roommate, who was the only female one, I thought, hey, wow, this is progressive. I'm actually living with a chick. This couldn't be cooler. Who knows what might happen? She currently serves in the Canadian parliament and she, she was the worst one of all. <laughs> of, co of course she was, right? I mean, that's how her. Her boyfriend, who was this big fat attorney, uh, also served in the Canadian Parliament. Of course, this is years after we lived together. And I came home one day from the gym, walked into the kitchen, and saw him drinking my milk, and it was mine because she's lactose intolerant, out of the frickin' carton. Oh. How many times did I miss something similar? Oh, my God. Mm. Len, your thoughts on uh, Paula's last point? Now, you know, I really liked your point about uh, on the cars where carpooling or, or going down to a one uh, from two cars to one. I, you know, I know a lot of people 
they maintain two cars, and one of them sits in the darn garage all year long collecting dust, but yet they're paying the maintenance on it, they're paying the insurance on it, and that's wasted funds. Uh, you know, if you can consolidate, consolidate. If you can carpool, carpool. And that's not a little money. That can be a few thousand dollars a year. So, Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of coupon clipping. Yeah, that's right. It takes a lot of 50-cent coupons, Paula, to make that happen. Right. Exactly. And that's really the point of this is do the math on what your luxuries are costing you. You know, do the math on how much it costs to maintain two cars or to keep a vacant room in your house. And if you're willing to pay that price, if you're willing to, to forego that opportunity cost – then fine, that's that's your prerogative, that's your decision. But do the math, do the actual math, so that you know how much you're functionally paying for that. That is great advice, and I think we'll end it there. We'll have uh, links to Paula's awesome article, Afford Anything, on our show notes at Stacking Benjamins. Guys, instead of talking about what's happening on your blog next week, we'll let 2013 end this way. Len, do you mind taking out that crazy man eight ball for us? I got it right here. Let's do this. Let's end our last segment of 2013 by asking the eight ball our biggest question that's on our mind right now. And let's start. Uh, ladies first, Paula, what what question do you have for the eight ball? Len Penzo, I would like to know if Prince and Kate Middleton are going to have another baby next year. Personally, I think they are. Oh, you want the eight ball, not me. Yes. Hold on. Let's see what the eight ball says. Yes. I think they are, but let's see what the eight ball says. As usual, we'll, nobody really we'll cares what you that think. The pregnancy <laughs> needs to be announced sometime in 2014, regardless of well, when the baby itself and, is born. And, and, and wait a minute. Just before we get to this, the eight ball was right on what you asked it last year, right, Paula? Yes, yes. Last year, I asked if they would be in a pregnancy, and uh, the eight ball said yes, and it was right. I'm telling everybody, Joe at stackingbenjamins.com, shoot me an email, and, and we've got this eight ball that's just magic. It's amazing. It predicted the birth of the future king of England. <laughs> it did. That is, <laughs> that is a powerful eight ball, Len. I, well, I'll tell you, I've been doing this for like three or four years, and, and you can go on to some of my old uh, prediction sites to see how they came out, but it's got like a 70% success rate. So Your eight ball should pick lottery numbers. It should. <laughs> Well, it's all recorded. How, it's all it's all in in on the internet for posterity. How do you three know, or four years worth of predictions? How do you know Greg's not about to ask at lottery numbers? So let's stick with this one, huh? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, right, so so do you want the answer? You want to yes. ask the question one more time? Sure. Um, will Prince William and Kate Middleton announce that they are expecting another baby? Okay. At the some ball, point in the year 2014. The eight ball says without a doubt. Oh, nice. We're going to have an heir and a spare. <laughs> do you want to do, do a bonus question and ask if it's going to be a boy or a girl? Okay, well, I, I guess I have to phrase that. As you'll have to phrase no. it. Yes, you'll have to phrase it properly. I feel like we're on Jeopardy. <laughs> yes. Will William and Kate's next child be a girl? Very doubtful. Oh. oh, probably a boy. I like how it couches it. That's how when I was a financial planner, I couched all my advice. Uh, you know, I think this might work. <laughs> right, you just throw the word might in there and you're good. <laughs> right. <laughs> nobody can like a weatherman. Yeah. <laughs> Go wrong. Nobody can partly cloudy. Nobody can sue you for the word consider. Right, Greg? Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's, uh, Greg, your turn. Uh, what, what should we ask uh, Lens Magic 8-Ball? 
Well, this might not be original, but I have a question about William and a beautiful lady. Will Will, whose name I don't know, and Paula Pant announce that they will have a baby sometime in 2014? Oh! <laughs> how about that? I can answer that one right now. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. We're asking the eight ball. We want the truth. We don't want what you're going to tell us. Uh, hold on. My ball. Oh, there we go. Uh, yes. <laughs> what? Eight ball don't lie. That's, a, that's in that thirty percent of questions your eight ball gets wrong. I was gonna say there goes there goes the batting average a little bit. I'm pretty sure, but we'll, I don't know, man. Know. I'm I'm uh, sending cigars out to everybody I know <laughs> right now. Uh, so, uh, uh, Greg, you, a bonus question. There's going to be 3 a.m. feedings and cleaning up feces out of diapers. It'll be great, Paula. I, I just thought of that at the spur of the moment. It preempted my original question, which is going to be, even though she's only going to be worth four, now three points in the death pool, is this the year the Jaja Gabor finally kicks off? Oh, man. My sources say no. Oh. She's a cockroach. <laughs> And uh, my question, Len, is, is Miley Cyrus going to twerk her way to even more cray-cray in 2014? Oh, I hope not. Uh, oh, I mean, these are the questions, this money stuff. Nobody wants to know about that. We want to know about Miley Cyrus. Sad I to say, it saw... says without a doubt. Without, of course, right? <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say, Paula? Oh, I just finally saw the Miley Cyrus VMA twerking video last night. Yeah, and what'd you think? Uh, you know, I'm... I'm actually a little surprised by how shocked people are. Right. This is just an, it's like the natural extension of what was going to come next. Right, exactly. Right. We had we had Lady Gaga, you know, it started with what Madonna and uh, Britney Spears and then Lady Gaga. You had to. Yeah, exactly. Like every successive celebrity needs to be more shocking than the next. So Miley Cyrus is just the next step. I don't understand why people are so flabbergasted. I don't know about you, Len, but the second I saw that video, I started practicing twerking immediately. How about you? Yeah, I uh, threw my back out, actually. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, that's going to do it. Happy 2013, Paula. Why, thank you. Thanks Happy for, New Year's to you. Thanks for being a, a great member of our team in 2013. I feel so blessed that you've been with us, as I do about the crazy man out there in the Hawaiian Islands, Mr. Greg McFarlane. Happy uh, New Year's, buddy. I'm glad that this was the year that you finally saw the light and made me part of the team. It was about time. Much uh, overdue. And the guy who's been here since the very beginning, Mr. Penzo, Happy New Year's to you and your family, dude. Yes, Happy New Year's to you too, Joe, and, and all your listeners. And Paula, what color are you going to paint the uh, the nursery? <laughs> uh, well, what color is the absence of existence? <laughs> Ask the eight ball. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, have a great week. Happy New Year. Yes. I got a great idea, man. What is that? Let's give something away. Ooh, all right. Hey, so now we're staggering these segments because we're only giving something away every other month instead of every month. But it is a biggie, OG. It's a biggie. It's a biggie. Mm -hmm. How about Apple iPad Mini? Ooh. 
Can I win it? You cannot win it. You are ineligible, as am I. However, people that you know can be in, and our nice listeners are all in on this contest. Here's what you can do. You go to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash January, and you do one of three things. If you tweet about the contest, we give you a little place. There's an easy way to prove that you tweeted about it. You put that in. You can do that every stinking day. That's 60 entries into the contest if you started back on day one. So tweet about the contest. Second thing is like us on Facebook. That gives you every single day. If you're a Facebook fan of ours, just become a fan. Click once a day. Yep, I'm a fan of yours. You'll get one a day. And the third way is very easy too. go back to the month of November. Just tell us who this voice is. I think we influence our lives by using incorrect grammar. We find what we're looking for putting the preposition right out there at the end. But uh, there are people who never look for humor, and I look for it all the time. I do so because it's the way I make my living, but really it's now become a way of life. It affects the, from traveling to your families, all of it. All right, OG. You have not heard the voice. Who do you think that person is? Well, I'll tell you what, that's dude. That's a clue. You gave me a clue. You said the voice. Adam Levine. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, here's the deal. If you get it right, I will give you the mini. If you get it right, I'll give you the mini. But oh. it's not Adam Levine, unfortunately. I know. We're down to three more people. I've seen that show. My <laughs> wife watches it. It makes me watch it. I was the a, voice. I was a little upset, by the way, because somebody, oh. I think People Magazine called him the sexiest man of 2013. And you and I are here. I mean, what are well, we, I, chopped liver? I don't know if you saw that article or not, but the, the second place person was a dude in a suit with like a brown bag over his head with like glasses drawn on. They said OG? Uh, like in marker, yeah. You were like three votes short. I was very close. Right. Near as I could. It's what my people got from the people, <laughs> those other people. Well, that, that, that was almost going to be in the, the magazine. So close. Unfortunately, it was not Adam Levine. But if you know who that voice was, even if you don't, just go back and listen to our big show, Stacking Benjamins. That's four shows in November. Go back and listen to those. Go to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash January. Sign up. The top two people at the end of January and early February, we are going to have the coin flip of death. The winner goes home with the Apple iPad Mini. Guess what the loser gets, OG? An opportunity to re-enter the next contest? Nothing. Right. That's it, OG. The year is up. That's it, eh? That is it. Can you believe 2013 is over? I can believe that 2013 is over. I don't know about that 2000 thing. 2013 is such a lie. 2013 <laughs> is a lie. 2013 is where it's at. The cake is a lie. The cake is a lie. I love that video game. For those yes. people that are missing out on that reference, that's Portal. What a great game. You and I played that game together. We held hands. It was very romantic. Hey, man, it was a fantastic 2013. So far, so good, I guess, huh? Cheers. Thanks for being <laughs> my partner in crime on this deal. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Here's to 2014. 2014? 2014. 2014. I'm going to tell mom. 2014. Everybody have a great... Great 2014. Great 2014. 2014. Everybody have a good 2014. <laughs>
This show is the property of the Free Financial Advisor, LLC, copyright 2013. This show is produced by Joe Salcihai and is edited by Joe and Isabella Bianco. PK can be found at his other gig on DQYDJ.net or curled up on the floor in a fetal position next to the freezer. Len Penzo appears courtesy of the cryptically named LenPenzo.com. Paula Pant appears courtesy of AffordAnything.com. Greg McFarland appears courtesy of Control Your Cash. The part of Joe's mom's neighbor Doug is played by... Well, if you haven't figured that one out by now, you're just not paying attention.
Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.